And welcome to another edition of the AfriCast. My name is Brendan Lotz, and joining me as always is Clinton Matos. Hello again, everybody. And Robin Lichetti. Howdy. I'm not even going to ask how you guys are this week because we've had a week full of load shedding. Um, and I, for one, am just fed up with this week. I'm looking forward to the weekend. Um, so let's get into the news of the week. Clinton, there's a new trailer for Obi Wan. Oh my god, this thing has been in the works since forever. It really feels like an Obi-Wan Kenobi series has just always been coming, but now it's finally, well it's not here, but there's a teaser for it. We'll get into uh, the whole conversation about can you just stop releasing teasers and just release the full trailer? That's another complaint. But it's finally here. It's not very long, but flipping out, they really packed this with a lot of stuff. Um... We have Obi-Wan, of course. He's looking after young Luke Skywalker. We see uh, Luke uh, uh, hitting the whip. There's a gift going around of that, which is very funny. Um, he's looking quite defeated. He even says, the fight's over, we lost. Uh, we hear the Duel of the Fates, which got me so hyped. Arguably one of the most famous pieces of music outside of the Imperial March. Um, but we don't see Darth Maul yet. I uh, wouldn't be surprised if he shows up in this. Surprise, he's not dead. No one really dies in these movies. Um, we see the Inquisitors. So people who have been watching the Rebels uh, animated series and all the spin-offs of the animated series and also even just played some of the games which they've been featured in. The Inquisitors have popped up a lot. They're a big part of the pre-sequel trilogy Star Wars. And uh, they look really good. They got the spinning lightsabers, even though they look absolutely ridiculous. I love them. Um, we have a new Inquisitor named... Sorry, I'm just trying to find... It's a, it's a weird name. There's a new Inquisitor. And uh, we have Uncle Ben... Uh, sorry, Uncle Owen, played by Joel Ed Edgerton. Uh, he was in a previous movie. I can't remember which one. I think it was Rogue One. Uh, he was in that, and he's back now. And it just looks really good. Thankfully, it's not just going to be on Tatooine. Um, much of The Mandalorian and almost all of the Book of Boba Fett was set on Tatooine and people are kind of sick of the place. Uh, and we get a look at a new area called Dayu. And it's it's kind of a, a cyberpunk neon uh, Asian city. And I'm really happy to see that. Um, and it's coming out on the 25th of May. Now... It's only on Disney Plus. We don't have Disney Plus in South Africa, but Disney has said again and again that it is coming to South Africa this year, 2022, in the middle of the year. They keep saying the middle of the year. Now, this 25th of May is near enough the middle of the year. Is the launch of Obi-Wan going to herald the launch of Disney Plus in South Africa? Who's to say? I wouldn't be surprised if it was, but then again, every time a new Marvel series came out last year, we thought, oh, now they're going to also launch Disney Plus, and they never did. So, is South Africa going to have legal access to this? Who can say? But all I can say is that there's a lot of South Africans on Twitter and Facebook talking about Disney Plus shows, which they legally can't watch. So... Is it going to come? Is it not going to come? It doesn't really matter. I think a lot of Star Wars fans are going to see it regardless, even if they have to do some dodgy stuff to see it. So that's Obi-Wan uh, coming out soon-ish, just a few months away. It really feels like it's been a lifetime since we've seen this. And everyone loves Mr. McGregor. And uh, I hope we get at least some memes from the, uh, the prequels that he helped make so popular. He has to say hello there at least once. If he doesn't say hello there once during the um the entire series, uh, there'll be riots in the streets. So check out the teaser trailer. They haven't said when the full trailer is going to be out or if there's even going to be a full trailer. But I think that as we get closer to the 25th of May, we're going to see much more advertising for this. still can't believe that we're in an age where we have teaser trailers, full trailers for shows that are still coming months down the line. It's, the it's best was... The best was at some point we had, I, I don't know what they called them, but they were basically teasers for teasers where they would release like five seconds of the, the not the show, but the movie or whatever. And the justification for that was these teasers for teasers were actually the 
like five second pre-roll ads for YouTube and then they just started tacking them on as their own things. But yeah, for they, I think a lot of companies have stopped that now. But when we used to get five second teasers for teasers, that was a uh, that was pushing it. That was ridiculous. But thankfully, uh, things have been getting further away from that. And I think a two and a half teaser is basically just a trailer, so we can just call it the trailer. Cool. Uh, Robin, you got some interesting stats about Luno and uh, who's buying cryptocurrency in South Africa. Uh, yeah, that's right. So the crypto trading platform released some interesting figures with regards to the buying habits of South Africans. Um, people that may not know Luno uh, will probably know that it's being advertised or being endorsed by one Rassia Rasmus. Um, what? So yeah. Yeah, he's done a whole bunch of uh, of ads for Bitcoin when he got his um, his suspension. Suspension, yeah. Ah, <laughs> oh, Rusty. So he's definitely diversing his revenue streams. There. Um, so um, some of the interesting elements. Uh, I guess there were some that were a bit more obvious. For example, that um, the average crypto buyer in South Africa is male. I think that's. I think you could probably. Uh, apply that to most of crypto across the world yeah i think it is a very bro-ish kind of culture to it um but uh what we have seen is that the average uh spend for the first purchase on luna is actually increased over the past 12 months so now the average buyer for their first purchase is spending around about a 450 rand and they are choosing to hold on to it for at least eight months so i'm guessing it's very much an experimental uh, first purchase, just kind of see what happens in the first eight months. As we know, cryptocurrencies in general, Bitcoin in particular, uh, are quite volatile in, in terms of their uh, increases and, and, and their falls. So yeah, um, that's kind of how long people are holding on to it for in South Africa. Um, a few more interesting aspects that Luna mentioned was that South Africa is one of its strongest markets. Uh, South Africa actually makes up 43% of its verified customers. So wow. that's a pretty significant uh, significant portion of, of mm. their customer base. Um, and over the past year, uh, Luna says it's verified more than 3 million users across the world. So again, South Africa mm. makes up a big chunk of, uh, of, the, of their customer base. Um, one of the other interesting elements uh, was... Again, kind of jumping into uh, the male and female uh, buyers, um, the older demographic on the female side of things is actually uh, buying a lot more crypto than their younger age brackets. So uh, Luna estimates that around about 30% of activity in the 18 to 29 age bracket are women. I'm assuming uh, that's all uh, has a lot to do with disposable income and stuff like that. Mm. Crypto isn't necessarily something you're going to buy uh if you're struggling for money, it's something I'm assuming a lot of people want to experiment with first before they kind of take a deeper plunge. Um, but that figure actually increased from 30% to 46% in the 60 plus bracket, which I thought was really interesting that 60 plus year old women are buying a lot of crypto for some reason. Um, unfortunately, Lena didn't explain as to why that's happening, why they are, are doing the same thing as, as tech bros and, and buying lots of crypto. Um, so it would be interesting to find out that kind of stuff. Um, another st stat that Luna shared with us was um, which cryptos are most popular. Naturally, Bitcoin. Uh, shout out to Rassi mm. again. Uh, <laughs> Ethereum uh, is also obviously does well because it's well known. And then another one that I haven't really heard much about is XRP. Mm, so Ripple. that has, yeah, that is that is increased uh, by the largest margin. 21 so far, 2022 sorry so far uh it's seen its price has increased by 25 percent wow in a single week so there is some i don't want to say volatility but there's definitely something happening there on the ripple front um and interestingly uh usdc which is a cryptocurrency linked to the us dollar is the least popular on luna's platform um which is a bit weird uh I would assume it it would be a fairly stable coin given the strength of the US dollar. But yeah, it looks like um, South Africans are more interested in the more popular options like Bitcoin and Ethereum. So kudos to, to Rusty. <laughs> he also uh, had a TikTok account for a little while where he was making some TikToks, but he was very inebriated while he was making them. So uh, yeah, maybe he's eased off on that. The, the point about Ripple is quite interesting because... 
I mean, when it was at the height of its popularity, I think a lot of uh, a lot of experts were like, "Oh, this this won't survive. This won't survive." And here it is, stronger than ever, at least on Luno's platform, which is good to see. Um, yeah, I, I was would... surprised not to hear about. Yeah, sorry, Robin, go ahead. Proponent of it, um, so I'm surprised that isn't here because I know he has a lot of sway in the crypto uh, universe, <laughs> especially here in South Africa as well. Yeah. Right. Uh, before we get on to the main topic of our Africast this week, uh, I do just wanted to highlight something that's the FPB Center. So last week on the 1st of March, the Films and Publication Amendment Act was signed into effect by President Sir Ramaphosa and the Department of Communications and Digital Technologies. Um, we got in touch with the FPB in 2019 to ask them a bunch of questions about the amendment bill as it stood at the time. Um, and now that it's an act, we, we sent them a few more questions. Uh, we'll be detailing everything that we asked them in a, a massive piece next week, uh, as well as some comments that we received from an attorney at Weber Wenzel. Um, but we do just want to highlight one thing that the FPB told us. So uh, the whole FPB Amendment Act centers around uh, regist registered distribu uh, content distributors. Registered content distributors. That's a mouthful. Um, so essentially, if you want to distribute content in South Africa, whether that's online or through DVDs or magazines or whatever it may be, you need to register with the FPB. Um, when last we spoke to the FPB and we asked them whether ordinary South Africans would need to register in order to post a video onto a place like YouTube, um, I think YouTube is, is a bit too specific here, a, a platform that is registered with the FPB, whether those users would need to register with the FPB as well. And the FPB told us that no, they wouldn't need to um, because that platform is is registered with it. So if, for instance, YouTube is, um, is registered with the FPB and you post content on the FPB, uh, then in 2019, the FPB said that you wouldn't need to register with it. Uh, there's some confusion around that now. We'll get into that next week. But what I wanted to highlight was we asked the FPB what content distributors are registered with it. Um, and it told us that uh, in the 2020-2021 financial year, the FPB had 17 online distributors on its books in various stages of compliance, which sounds good. Um, but here comes the kicker. It would be important to note that in certain in certain instances, the FPB has entered into non-disclosure agreements with distributors and is not at liberty to share details of these agreements. So essentially, there are 17 uh, online distributors on the FPB's books in various stages of compliance, but it cannot tell us who they are, which just seems really odd because... To my mind, if you were trying to ensure that your your citizens were able to abide by the law, you should be able to tell them how they can abide by the law, right? Like, for instance, if you were to if the uh, the cannabis law that's currently in Parliament and being battered around, uh, if that were passed today, and they said that you are allowed to distribute cannabis as long as you've registered with the company, if you haven't registered with an entity if you haven't registered then you could be locked up right so you would want people to know where they can go uh, for places that are registered i'm sure companies should also also have a role to play in this but the fact that the body that's governing the uh the registration of this isn't telling uh, citizens who is on that list is really concerning to us um yeah it's just really confusing hopefully though the platform owners will be able to tell us um, like we know that Netflix uh, has an agreement with the FPB um, that was announced uh, a few years ago. Um, and you can actually see that Netflix is complying with the FPB because all of our local age restrictions uh, have the FPB mark. So it's it's relatively easy to see some of these. But in the case of like YouTube, which doesn't carry age restrictions, uh, how how is that going to work? So... There's a lot of confusion around this piece of legislation. It's only going to get more confusing um, until the point where this legislation is put in front of a court and a court decides on certain things, sets a precedent. Um, yeah, it, it, it's a really confusing state of affairs and it really shouldn't have to be at this point. Sounds like they're setting South Africans up for failure, honestly. It, it, it really does. I get that feeling, but on the same token, I mean, the FEB is so quick to answer our questions. Like, 
Um, we sent through questions last week. They sent through their answers on on Tuesday. Uh, we sent the questions through on last week Friday. We sent them. They replied on Tuesday. So, uh, and there were a lot of questions, and not the easiest questions either. So, to their credit, the FPB is engaging with media at least. But I think a lot of the the confusion around this legislation is baked into how confused uh, into how legislation is written and how it's interpreted and how you and I dif- interpret it differently from the lawmakers. And that that's a real problem that is that really, really needs to be addressed. Um, but yeah, as I said, we'll have a full mega long article uh, with everything that the FPB told us to our questions, as well as some comment from Weber Wenzel attorneys next week. Whew, man, confusion reigns. Okay. Uh, let's get into the meat and potatoes of this Africast. This week we're going to be chatting about uh, the Russian war on Ukraine um, and the various sanctions that have been imposed by uh, companies around the world and governments. Um, I do just want to make something, just state something right off of the bat. Uh, I think all of us on this podcast can agree that war is a really terrible thing. The, the imagery that we're seeing coming out of Ukraine is, is harrowing to watch. Um, and I think it's important to note that we don't support the war that is going on. Um, the reason I want to make this known right at the top is that we're going to be discussing some really nuanced stuff now, um, especially as regards sanctions. And I don't want anybody to get the wrong idea and think that we support what Putin is doing in Ukraine. Uh, I, I think that the top, the, the, what we're about to discuss is really important, though. Um, and yeah, just please understand that no matter what we say, we do not support what Putin is doing in Ukraine. I think we can all agree on that, right, guys? Oh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah, 100%. yeah. So, a bit sad that, has to, that we even have to say it, um, especially as South Africans, where our government has, uh, they are basically having champagne with uh, Russian officials. Um, it's a sad day to be a South African during this conflict. And uh, I mean, it's just because our officials won't stand up against these. Oh, I want to swear. Yes, I agree with everything you said, Brendan. Cool. Um, but we have to say it. And especially as South Africans right now, we have to say it. Yeah. So, right. Let's let's get into, let's get into what's going on here. So uh, following Russia's invasion of Ukraine, which Putin dubs a special operation, um, it's a war by any other name. Um, a number of companies have started to impose sanctions. Uh, I do have to point out, though, that a number of sanctions that were placed against uh, RT News and Sputnik News uh, came down because of a request from the uh, European Union. Um, so they requested that these uh, new, these state-owned news accounts weren't able to have uh, their news published uh, elsewhere in Europe. Uh, and as such, many social media companies have complied. Uh, however, that's not where the sanctions stopped. Um, since the war has started, we've seen a number of companies halting their services in uh, Russia, including Netflix, uh, the Walt Disney Company, Sony, Amazon Web Services, Google, Microsoft, Apple, IBM, Cogent, Lumen, Uber, uh, and many, many more. Those are just the tech companies that we're going to look at. And I think that's where we want to breach off into our discussion about what's going on. Do we think that these sanctions on Russia are justified? And I'm asking this uh, in the context of it's not just Russian soldiers who this affects, but ordinary Russians who are just sitting at home uh, and, and don't have much say in what's going on. My opinion is that while the sanctions on misinformation are justified, I think that the fact that many companies are just pulling out of Russia is concerning because effectively at the moment, we have no insight into Russia, right? We don't know what a public opinion of Putin is. We don't know uh, whether there is, there's civil unrest brewing in Russia. We don't know any of this because th- there's nothing coming in or out of there. Right? So, I think that this is what concerns me is that we've we've now effectively blocked one side of the story. No matter what Putin's justification for this is, I think we do need to hear what he is saying because in in the gap in the gap has, that is now being created, you're starting to see a whole bunch of misinformation uh, uh, coming to the fore, right? Like 
people saying these people are Nazis, these people saying these people were are are um, crisis actors. Like there's all this misinformation that is stemming from this hole, this Russian-sized hole in the internet at the moment. I think that the other side of this is that by blocking off those services means that all Russians have is the media that's in front of them. And I'm pretty sure that Russian media isn't going to say, oh, well, Putin needs to stop the war because especially state-owned media. But yeah, it becomes really complicated when you start to look at how this affects the man on the street. And I think that's an important point about this as well, because while soldiers and stuff are waging the war, there's still a nation of people who we don't know what their sentiment is, right? We're, we're told that, oh, yeah, well, you know, Russia is the aggressor here. I understand that, and that is clear. But we really need to see, what, I would at least like to see what people, what their opinion is on the ground of people in Russia. And you don't get that through state-owned media. You get that through things like social media and that sort of thing. I, I think that we're stepping into really concerning terrorist territory especially as regards things like cogent and lumen which are um backbone internet services so they essentially cut off access none of them are so massive that they would probably stop uh internet connectivity to russia but the fact that we're having that conversation is really really concerning and i think that take the ukraine russia thing out of the equation what happens if two other nations go to war what happens if America decides that it wants to invade a country because it has oil, you know, what happens in that instance? It's it's just, do we shut down that country's internet because we're scared that they're going to serve propaganda? I mean, during the US operations in the Middle East, did we shut down their internet because they were invading foreign countries? I mean, it's just, it's such a complex matter. And I feel like we're all so quick on the trigger to uh, shut off services in Russia it's really, really concerning for me, especially as it goes on. Um, this morning, I wrote a story about how Facebook has said that it will temporarily suspend um, its hate speech and violent speech policies in certain countries um, because of the special circumstances that's happening in Ukraine. Um, my concern with that was that how Facebook is going to, or Meta rather, is going to um, police this sort of stuff because we've seen in the past that people get around moderation by using code words i mean anti-vax groups started referring to themselves as dance parties and dinner parties and facebook had no idea until like researchers found out that hang on these guys aren't really organizing a dance party it's an anti-vax group um i I think the worst (laughs) the worst part is is that those groups were in english and facebook has shown that it has it's woeful when it comes to moderating things in in country in languages that aren't English. Um, the Middle East is a really good example. There's a, a Politico did a report in October, um, painting an alarming picture of how out of its depth meta is when it comes to moderation in languages that aren't English and countries where wars are constantly being fought. So, I feel like a lot of tech companies were very quick on the trigger to to put sanctions against Russia without thinking about how this could affect things in future, because you've now set a precedent, Meta. You've set a precedent now, and you need to be able to continue that precedent. So, I mean, let's, for instance, look at what's going on in Yemen. There's a massive war that's been going on there for for ages now. Um, Is this policy going to be be applied there? Are companies going to start sanctioning um, participants in that that war? I mean, there's just like, there's so many questions that now rise from this, and it all stems because one war has broken out in Europe, and we don't talk about all the other wars that have broken out over the years in Africa and the Middle East. Those seemingly don't count, which kind of irks me a little bit. Uh, but that's my opinion on this. I feel like companies were a bit too quick on the trigger. Robin, what, what's your opinion? So I think it really depends uh, on a company-by-company basis. Uh, when you kind of run through the list of tech companies that have impose some kind of sanction or restricted service in some degree. Someone like Sony stopping hardware and software sales in Russia. That to me seems fine. Uh, they don't want to be seen as generating income for operating mm-hmm. in Russia at the moment. So to also, also uh, <laughs> I find it a little amusing that Sony said they weren't going to be shipping hardware into Russia given the whole PS5 issues. Um, but so, again, someone like Amazon Web Services, they said they weren't going to be taking on new customers. Amazon doesn't have a presence in Russia in the first place. So mm. 
that again I, I understand making the statement and kind of showing your solidarity but again that doesn't really affect anyone um the two companies that you mentioned cogent and lumen as far yeah. as internet services go that to me is potentially uh could potentially backfire in terms of limiting access to everyday russians who more than likely don't share the same sentiment that vladimir putin has yeah. and and given that uh, russia and ukraine share so much cultural uh there's so much diaspora that's happening there they probably have relatives or family or friends in ukraine that they need to be in contact with and to kind of find out what's going on there so i understand when certain companies are not looking to get money out of russia and kind of ceasing mm. the operations but to me connectivity again i might be getting too grandiose but connectivity is something that should be akin to food, water, and shelter these days. It, it is so important uh, as far as being able to live in current society. And I know that large swathes of South Africa and Africa struggle with connectivity. Mm. Um, I don't believe that Europe has the same kind of issues on that front. So I think there's a great dependence on connectivity and limiting that uh, is a real problem. I would rather see companies do what Google has done, for example. They have halted all ad sales and they are limiting search results for state-owned uh, Russian publications. But on top of that, they are trying to create tools to assist the Ukrainian people. Uh, I recently wrote a story about um, the Russian air raids in Ukraine and how Google uh, were able to adapt their early earthquake alert system to yeah. assist as far as air raids are concerned and to almost kind of broaden the reach because the UK are already doing that. They're already sending out air raid alerts. But now with Google getting involved, it at least opens it up to more users because they're able to tap into that Android uh, user base. So I would rather see steps like that being taken than simply saying, okay, we're cutting Russia off completely because you're tarring everyone with the same brush here because yeah. Russia is not Vladimir Putin and Vladimir Putin is in Russia. Yeah. So to kind of lump everyone in to get in the same category is a little unfair. I understand why it's happening because a lot of these tech companies are almost be, be, at the behest of the United States. And when the United States issues sanctions, everyone has to kind of toe the line. So I understand why it's happening. I just think that uh, companies, like you said, shouldn't be as trigger happy to do so. And they haven't potentially thought about the actual ramifications uh, down the line for the general non-Putin supporting Russian. Yeah. And your thoughts, Clinton? I want to address stuff both of you have said quick, not to not to be contrarian, just to provide more context. So aside from not wanting to take money from a company who's an active aggressor in a war, I'm gonna put that aside for a second and talk about why sanctions are put in place when it comes to not just a war but also just unpopular decisions from governments. And I have to remember at some point in South Africa, you know, before I was born, South Africa was also under many sanctions um, because yeah. of apartheid. The reason governments and companies do this, aside from the money aspect, is to make, it's, it sounds ridiculous, but it's to make the populace of that country angry at the government. It's to make policies in that government unpopular with the populace. Uh, that's what it is. It's, uh, you know, it's a country and a company overseas can only do so much in a country thousands of kilometers away, right? Mm -hmm. You have to kind of subtly pressure them into changing their ways. And again, that sounds very, uh, that sounds awful. That sounds like, you know, you're trying to interfere with the country. But when they're doing things like discriminating people based on their race and killing innocent people in a war, these things have to be done. So. I just want to separate out those two parts where it's not just about money. It is about trying to pressure this company in a way that won't spark a war. And people have said, why doesn't America or some of the other superpowers just send tanks and troops? You can't do that because you'll start a world war. And Russia has nukes. So you really have to think about this. It, it's not a cold war, but it's, I don't know what other term you'd use, a soft war where if you can't fight with bullets and you can't fight with um, nukes, you have to fight with policy. So I just want to put that in everyone's mind that where, yes, this is impacting the average Russian, and the average Russian may not agree with Putin and the war, but 
the sanctions and the pulling out that these companies are doing are supposed to affect the common citizen so that they become, yeah, I don't know what the word is, yeah, you know, I don't want to get into, is that, you know, morally right? Um, I just want to point out that's why these things are done outside of virtue signaling. I think some companies are taking this as an invitation to virtue signal saying, hey, we pulled out of Russia, we're on the right side of history. They are doing these to try and make the war unpopular in Russia. Mm. So I, I just want, I think that's very important to think about as we continue here. I think both of you just were thinking about it in terms of money. Uh, you have to think about it in terms of making the war unpopular. And the other thing I wanted to mention is that uh, Brendan was saying we, we don't know what the average Russian is thinking about all of this. And I agree, but we have been seeing some of what they are doing. Um, there have been videos going around of Russians protesting the war. Um, we have seen average citizens in the country and expats, uh, expats who have left the country voicing um, their dissatisfaction with the war. So it's not like we're hearing nothing. We are hearing about what their thoughts are. And I understand what you're saying. If these communication companies pull out, the Russians can't speak to the rest of the world and the rest of the world can't speak to Russia. And that is a problem. But I think all the big change needs to happen behind closed doors when the leaders speak to each other, um, if that kind of makes sense. And again, I, I hope I'm not being contrarian here. I'm just trying to point this out. If Putin says they're pulling out of the Ukraine and the war is over, that's something he's going to announce to the other world leaders. Um, and we won't really need Twitter for that, uh, if you understand where I'm coming from with that sentiment. So I think those are two big things you really need to think about, that it's awful that it's affecting the common person who doesn't want a war, but the sanctions are kind of made to do that on purpose. And also the, the cutting of communications is happening, but it might not be as sweeping. It's not like the internet just turned off, even though that might happen in the near future. I mean, we don't know that. And so, the last thing I just want to mention, yeah. sorry, just to before I hand the mic back, is that I think it's hilarious, not hilarious, but it's, uh, you know, no one was putting sanctions on America and the UK as they had wars in the Middle East. So I don't want to get into that whole kettle of fish, but I just want to point out here that, uh, you know, when there's blood in the water, the sharks will swarm. And no one was willing to uh, condemn other first world countries when they were waging wars. And like you said, Brendan, uh, there's wars happening all the time in other parts of Europe and in Africa. And uh, these companies don't care. But now because it's uh, in Europe and it's big news, now they care and they want a virtue signal. And they're saying, oh, we're doing something about it. So yeah, those are the three main points I just wanted to bring up uh, as we continue this. So I want to touch on the point of the the internet as a whole and internet access in Russia. So something that I wrote earlier this week looked at statements made by the Internet Society and the the Electronic Frontier Foundation. And I just want to read an excerpt from a piece that the Electronic Frontier Foundation wrote and said, In moments of crisis, we are often tempted to take previously unthinkable steps. We should resist that temptation here and take proposals like these off the table altogether. In dark times, people must be able to reach the lights, reassure their loved ones, inform themselves and others, and escape the walls of propaganda and censorship. The internet is a crucial tool for all. Don't mess with it. And I think that that's an important point, because while there's been a lot of talk about Russian propaganda, I think that I'm going to keep hammering this point, is that we currently only have one side of the story. I know that there's there's explanation from Russia and all that sort of stuff about why it did this and why it invaded, and I don't want to get into that because I'm not qualified to have an opinion about that, about the justification for this war. I, I In my own personal capacity, war is terrible, and I don't think that it, it should be done. Um, but if we look at the internet as a whole and cutting off access from the internet, and if you look at something like China, right? So China is for all intents and purposes, cut off from the internet or from the Western internet, right? There are some services which you can access, but uh, for the most part, you're using Chinese services on China's internet. Now, the fear is that this the same thing could happen in Russia. 
Um, and if it happens in Russia, what's to stop it from happening in other parts of the world? Now, I know that this is probably a concern for the likes of Meta, whose entire livelihood is based off of advertising to 7 billion people around the world. Uh, I'm not saying it has 7 billion users, I'm just saying seven, like everybody around the world. I know that's a concern for them, but for us, I think that it's, it's once again, like EFF says, is that escape the wall of propaganda and censorship. And while I understand why they are doing this, it, it just feels wrong to, to block Russia out from the conversation completely. I know we're harping on on this point, but I think it's important that the internet remain a sort of untouchable thing because if we cut off internet to Russia, what's to stop people from cutting off internet to Africa um, the next time there's a conflict between two nations here? Or what's to stop people from cutting off the internet in, in the Middle East should there be a conflict there? What's to stop people from cutting America off of the internet and the internet just kind of collapsing because everything's based in the US? Um, so there's lots of really, really difficult questions that need to be asked about this. And I'm not sure that that the people in charge are asking these questions. I think it's all just very much like Russia bad, punish Russia. And Clinton, to your point about uh, putting pressure on citizens, I mean, does that work? D does putting pressure on citizens to change their government or to, to put pressure on the government, does that work? Because... I mean, especially in, in regards to Putin, do you think that he cares what his citizens have to say and what their opinion of the way that he he governs is? I, I tend to think that he's not the type of person that does. Um, obviously, I don't know the guy, but I mean, just his actions kind of kind of showcase what type of person he is. And I don't think he's the type of person to see like riots in his own country and go, oh, well, guess we got to pull out of this war. I mean, if protests and stuff weren't enough to get American presidents to leave Vietnam, I, I don't know what's, what protests will do in Russia. Robin, what do you think? I understand Clinton's point with regards to trying to upset the citizens of the country enough to effect some change. Uh, but uh, to your point, Brendan, I think Vladimir Putin doesn't care about that. Um, it's the reason he's been power for so long. And I know I made the point of that uh, Vladimir Putin is in Russia, but he has a hell of a stranglehold on the country. And if you, if the citizens are to kind of bring about some kind of change, the protests are going to get it done. It will likely have to turn forceful. It will likely have to turn violent. And then who is to blame for that? Are these companies then to blame because they shut off everything and made the situation so untenable that the citizens had to revolt in some kind of way? It's a situation that can very quickly uh, snowball out of control hmm. if it has not already. Again, the only reason why I think there's been this kind of standoff so far and these, these many sanctions that have been imposed is because Russia has nukes. Hmm. It's also the reason why all these other Western countries actually care. Because when wars break out, genocide happens in Africa, Southeast Asia, Middle East, no one cares until nukes are involved because then the stakes get, get a bit higher. Yeah. So. It's a really tricky situation purely for the fact that, unfortunately, Russia and Putin in particular hold all the cards right now. And to my mind, at least, he doesn't seem like the kind of man who will very easily step down. And unfortunately, it, it, I hate for this to happen, but it will likely take some kind of force in order for him to stop what he's doing. I, I don't think the sanctions are going to be effective in that regard. I think something more forceful has to happen. And it will unfortunately come at the cost of Russian and Ukrainian lives. I mean, those are good points. Clinton? Uh, not to defend myself or anything, but I just want to point out that first little part I talked about. I wasn't necessarily uh, advocating for anything I talked about in terms of the sanctions and everything. I don't know if they'll be successful in helping the war effort to stop. I just wanted to point out why they were happening. Uh, again, I don't want to... Yeah, yeah, no, no. no. I just want to point that out for my own, <laughs> for my own edification. Um, so yeah, I have no idea if this is going to do anything. Um, again, like Robin said, I have no idea if Putin looks out the Kremlin's window and sees a protest, if he even gives a damn. I have no idea. And again, another great thing Robin says is the nukes are 100% why this is such a different kind of conflict. Um yeah. Even though they, we have had nukes for a very long time, and again, the Cold War, like I mentioned, but it's a different kind of conflict because of those, and also because we've not had a war that is so insanely connected um, through the internet. I mean, 
even when there were wars in the Middle East and Africa and everything, I don't recall seeing, uh, I don't know if you'd call it coverage, but I don't recall seeing videos from the ground and coverage from the ground like we're seeing with this conflict. So because it's so different, we don't know if any measures will help. Uh, like I said, will sanctions help? Maybe they would have helped with different conflicts, but now um, they won't help with this conflict. So again, I have no idea. <laughs> I, I just write about tech. Um, no one here uh, has a political sciences degree, I don't think, um, or a doctorate or anything like that. So well, as we discuss this, we, we're talking a lot about, one, we don't know because this is a conflict unlike any other, and one, because, again, we don't have PhDs in this uh, in this matter, and we don't claim to. So yeah, it's it's a situation where we don't know much of anything about how this is going. We can only talk to tech. The one thing I did just want to mention is uh, Brendan, you keep talking about how internet is something that everyone should have. And mm. I don't think you used the term yet, but uh, the internet is considered by some countries and not by others a human right. Mm. And it's funny, there was a big argument in America about how the internet isn't a human right. And the ISPs successfully lobbied government to make it that way to enrich themselves. And again, I don't want to talk about that. I keep talking about America. I'm not here to demonize them because obviously Russia is the um, the aggressor here, but I just want to point out some parallels. Anyway, back to the the topic of the internet. I, I, I did want to say that, you know, uh, the internet is a human right, but when we're talking about war, what does that really matter? I mean, you have mm. the right to live, but if somebody rolls into your country with tanks with the intention to kill you, what do human rights matter? So I just, just wanted, I, I wanted to bring up that specific term about the internet. It should be human rights, and any country doesn't consider it a human right, I think, has a other agenda, let's say, that they don't want to talk about publicly. So, yeah, I just wanted to bring up those points and, and just add some uh, further clarification to all of that. I, I hope that we get further to a decentralized internet and I know if I say that, people are like, oh, I'll put it on the blockchain. But, uh, <laughs> you know, that's not really how things work. But it would be great if we had internet systems that couldn't be shut down. Mm. Um, and again, I know that's very uh, libertarian kind of point of view. But I, I do think the internet is a human right. And I think the more we do to safeguard it, the better. And if I'm not mistaken, it was news where Starlink was sending... Um, I don't know what hardware they were sending to the Ukraine to Terminals. help them. Terminals. Uh, and this isn't a conversation about Starlink, but I just thought that the tech that is being produced for that has such ramifications for worldwide human rights, internet connectivity, because if the base station, you know, the ISP in your country is bombed or whatever, if you can just put a satellite on top of your house mm. and connect to a satellite in space, that is such... Uh, an awesome piece of tech that I hope takes off. Um, I remember even here in South Africa where um, our internet was awful and uh, I would have killed to have something that wasn't, you know, limited by use or it didn't break down on a rainy day, flipping telecoms, copper cables, your internet would die if it was raining, which makes no sense. Uh, I still want telecom to explain that to me. Um, so yeah, I, I really hope that some of the good that is coming from this uh, from the companies and the individuals and the governments is kept in line when the conflict hopefully ends soon. And I hope the internet is a big part of that where everyone can have access to the internet, no matter what the government says and no matter, no matter what the government of other countries say, if they roll into your country with tanks. So there's one other thing that I, I kind of want to highlight and that's uh, particularly around social media companies like the likes of uh, uh, Facebook and Twitter and the like, I do wonder if them deciding to just stop services is also them just kind of tacitly admitting that their uh, their misinformation policies aren't as robust and as strong as as they've claimed to be over the years. The reason I say that is that I mean if if these and misinformation uh, tools were as good as they were at detecting misinformation. Surely you wouldn't need to ban the whole country from your platform or remove your services from that country because you'd be able to dissect what is real and what isn't and what's propaganda and what isn't. Um, I understand that 
the the situation is developing it's very fresh but it does kind of bring into question these these protections and how robust they are um in the case of meta i mean i've already said that they struggle with uh with content moderation in in languages that aren't english um and and besides that i mean content moderation is something that needs to be done by humans a lot of the time uh, a, a bot may flag it but a human needs to 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 check whether it's real or not and fact checkers and all that sort of stuff so it is concerning that the instead of fighting the misinformation it was just a let's just not even have it on our platform let's not even deal with it um yeah i think that's concerning maybe maybe i'm reading too much into it robin oh yeah clinton yeah sorry do you guys think um again i don't want to sound like i have a tinfoil hat on here but i i have to wonder how many of these company decisions were not really mandated by the companies themselves but instead they had a behind closed door meeting with some arm of the government and the government basically said to them listen this is how things are going to be um you're going to shut down access and you're going to act like you did it for whatever reason um, but you're not going to say that we pressured you into doing this. I have to wonder how much of this is that. Um, and especially in America, where the government itself has been extremely harsh on Russia, how many times has the FBI or the Department of Homeland Defense or whoever have gone to the headquarters of these things and say, hey, we have a, a scheduled meeting with your CEO, your CEO. I don't care where he is. We're having this meeting. And then they kind of lay down the law from there. I uh, I have to wonder. Yeah, I mean, if we say anything, we're just going to be conspiracy theorizing, and I don't really want to do that. Just didn't want to bring that up again. I, I just like I did. I don't love it, but I I do just <laughs> I like to give context for whatever we talk about. Mm. Um, just so everybody's you know playing with full deck cards over here. I yeah, I just wanted to put that out there. I don't know how many of these decisions are being made from the companies themselves. So, yeah, I do wonder. It, I mean, this could have also proved the perfect testing ground for misinformation uh, solutions, right? I suppose there are better ways to test it that don't put human life in jeopardy. But I would think that companies would use this as a way to test whether their misinformation is working. Or maybe they did behind the scenes and they saw that there was just way too much. I mean, we don't work at these companies, so it's hard to tell and it's hard to kind of posit. But everybody just feels to be like jumping the gun and and going Let, let's get out of there let's let's stop doing business in russia the other side of this though that i think we need to discuss is what happens when ultimately this war is over does do these companies go back to russia if russia lets them does russia start its own internet what happens here robin do you have any thoughts i think it really depends what happens with putin again uh i, I... I have kind of hinted at potentially him having to be ousted in order for this conflict to come to a resolution. If, for example, Putin says that uh, they are pulling out of the Ukraine, I'm pretty sure he has a good memory. So he's going to remember all the companies that have uh, have suspended or pulled out or imposed sanctions on Russia. And it wouldn't surprise me if he finds some kind of way to retaliate economically against them. Yeah. So... I think if if the majority of these companies are going to set up shop in Russia again, it would have to be with a different president at the helm. Yeah, I 100% agree with that. If if tomorrow he says we're cancelling the, the invasion for X, Y, and Z, and then the companies come back, if I worked with that company and I was like, I lived in America, and they said, oh, come for a business meeting, no way in hell. No way, Jose. That's, uh, well, that sounds like a trap to me. So yeah, I, I 100% agree with you, Robin. It, it will really depend who's sitting on the throne in Russia after all of this. Gee, does he sit on the throne? I thought he just probably. Like a... he's probably if he doesn't have one in the Kremlin, he's probably got one at home. That he's probably he stuffed a bear and he sits on that. Oh my goodness! Oh my goodness, guys! So uh, something else I just want to mention as well is that while we've talked about com companies pulling out of Russia. Um, Russia did pass a fake news law uh, recently, which essentially makes any sort of dissent, any anti-Russia sort of comment uh, illegal and punishable by up to 15 years in prison, um, yeah. which is a, is a big deal. Um, and that is also likely, has likely spurred 
a lot of companies to move out of that country, right? So yeah. with something like Facebook, um, could you imagine Facebook having to deal with that law in Russia because 90% of what's on Facebook is is, is misinformation these days? Um, I, I'm obviously being hyperbolic here. I'm not saying that all of but Facebook is a breeding ground for misinformation. And uh, anything that's on there would probably put it in trouble with uh uh, the Russian government. So I do just want to mention that as well. That that has likely been a lot of that has been behind a lot of decisions to move out of of Russia, um, and simply because it's untenable for a lot of companies to do that. Like for instance, you if you have a social network of over five hundred thousand monthly active users, um, you have to have uh, premises in Russia. Um, to be able to do business in Russia. And I think that with a lot of companies just wanting to get out of there, that also likely uh, contributed to a lot of the decisions to move. So just so that's clear, um, but obviously that's not the only decision that led to them leaving. A lot of these were also just, we're not going to do business with you anymore and and the like. Obviously, there are a lot more companies that have pulled out of Russia, um, a lot of retailers, Uh, But we just chose to look specifically at tech and discuss tech. Um, Is there anything else you guys want to add, Robin? Um, Outside of hoping that this conflict resolves very quickly Mm -hmm. and that a lot of effort is put towards assisting the people in Ukraine after and helping them rebuild. No, there's nothing much really. Uh, It's all kind of in Russia's hands, as it were, to sort this out. Yeah, I think that the effort should be focused on helping those that are affected by this war rather than trying to retaliate against Russia. Uh, of course, I could be wrong. Clinton, what are your thoughts? Man, right, anything further to add? Sorry. Yeah. No, I don't think I have much else to add. I, I just hope the conflict ends soon um, and both countries can be better at the end of it. Um, I hope that the, the leaders on the Russian side are held accountable for what they've done. That's, uh, that's all I have to say, really. Um, okay, that's going to do it from us for this edition of the Africast. Uh, thank you so much for tuning in to this very tough uh, conversation. Um, yeah, uh, my name has been Brendan Lotz. Cheerio from Clint Matos. And from Robin Lee Chetty. Take care, everyone. We'll see you next week. Sorry, the number you have dialed is not in service at this time.